Hi, everybody. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just getting myself organized. Okay, now, before I start, I will do a little intro. I am Rasela Saofia. I am one of the two elders in the house. Uh, Bogdan, who's sitting there wrapped in red, <laughs> is the other. Um, and... And Robin and Frodi, who are sitting in the front, are the senior pastors. And Jeff, who is roaming somewhere, the tall guy that was singing here, is the assistant pastor. And so, um, as a house, we have existed for 20 years. We first started in Papatoy, moved around Papatoy a bit, then occupied a building on top of New World and Papatoy Toy across from the library. Then we moved to the Rumpus Room, which is in Lenore Road, which is Catherine's home. And we were there for eight long years in a room together. We got to know each other very well. <laughs> um, and then in the beginning of this year, we got this space. And so now we don't know what to do with ourselves because it's so much room. <laughs> and so that's a little bit of our journey. And Froli, of course, is Indonesia, Indonesian. And I am um, 55, almost 55. <laughs> and all my friends who are the same age as me and say, you're not 55. No, not yet. <laughs> um, and I have five children, one grandchild, and... Four boys and one girl, and my daughter's sitting out the back, married to Reuben. And so that's a little bit of an introduction about me. And I am going to actually just start from kind of recapping what Robin has been talking about a little bit, where he talked about the Holy Spirit. But I'm not going to do a very good job with that because I've got something else I want to talk to you about. But there is a scripture in, in the book of James where the Lord says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. When we talk about hosting the Holy Spirit, we are actually talking about that. We're talking about our hearts drawing near to God and then he draws near to us. And so when we actually are talking about wanting the Holy Spirit to fill the space, and worship, the place of worship is for us is when our hearts is engaged with God. When we come to worship, we actually, no matter what bad week we've had and no matter how bad life seems, we can shut all of that down by turning our affections of our heart towards the Lord and actually drawing near to him. The moment we draw near to him, we would feel his presence because he will come to draw near to us. It's as simple as that because feelings are not the truth. The word of God is the truth. And if we choose the truth, the truth will manifest itself and become a reality. And I do this a lot because being a prophetic person, we go to places and we get life just seems to hit us harder because we're, all, we're sensitized in a certain area of our lives by the Lord. And so what happens when, when life hits us hard? It can form attitudes in us. 
and the Lord then comes to confront our attitude. That's something Bill Johnson talked about. He says, one of the things I did with my kids when raising them, and it's a pastor that I listen to on YouTube, and sometimes we quote him a lot in this house. Um, and he said this. He said, one of the things that I did with my kids, I never shouted at them, never, you know, he wasn't that kind of father. But the way he did it was that what he would do was him and his wife would work really, really hard to adjust his children's attitude. They would confront attitude because attitude becomes habit and habit becomes a pattern. And then you end up with a stronghold in your life. And so what they would do is they would sort their kids' attitude. And it actually works because I did it with one of my kids who actually used to, not Monique. <laughs> Monique was such a joy as a baby. I mean, she was. She was absolute joy as a baby. Because she was, from the day she was born, she was just this happy baby. Like, you know, feed me and I'm happy. <laughs> and so she was quite independent from day one. But one of her brothers started forming an attitude. Wherever he went, he would come home with an attitude. And I'm going, what is happening to this child? And so he would go to his, you know, because me, oh, and, and I um, was married to Dave, who went to home to be with the Lord in 2015, and he was part of this house. Um, he had a heart condition, and the heart condition finally took his life, and then he went home to be with the Lord. Um, and then one of the things then, because our lives was very simple, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, and so we kind of didn't have what their cousins had. So they would go to their cousin's house. He would go to his cousin's house who has everything. And then he would come home with this attitude like we were the scums of the earth because we didn't have this and we didn't have that and we didn't have that. And he would have an attitude. And I watched him several times going back and he would come home and it would take several days for him to adjust the attitude. And I would go, and I would go, who is this kid? I send my nice kid out to their home, and then my, this kid comes home, this angry kind of really bad, the language is bad, the attitude is bad, the anger is bad, and I'm going, who is this kid? What happened to my child? And, and then I felt the Lord say to him, tell him to adjust his attitude. And so one of the things I taught my son was, if you're going to go out there and you come through that door, Please adjust your attitude simply because of this. This is how we are. We don't have a lot. It's not because we're bad parents. It's just we don't have a lot. And I'm sorry that we don't have a lot, but this is who we are. When, you know, we love you to death, we'll do whatever we can. We'll, do, we'll give you what you need, what we can afford to give you. But I'm sorry that we're not like your cousins and your aunties and all those who are able to give you this, that, and the other thing. But when you come home, can you not treat us like crap because of that? Can you adjust your attitude? And he actually learned to do it. He learned to know when he walked through the door that he has to shift back to the child we sent out. And so he did it over and over and over. And so now where when he meets people, even though he's had a bad day and he's got a been through some stuff, he would be very, very nice. He would talk very nice, he would talk politely, and he would engage with people. And it was one of the things the Lord said to me, he says, 
No matter how, because he would do it because I actually get a really bad attitude. Now you know where my son got it from. And, and I would go to places and I would come home and I would go, and I would come to some meetings and I'd sit there and I'd go, I actually don't want to be here, Lord. Why did you ask me to come? Why am I here? You know? And I would have this really, really bad attitude. And the Lord would simply say to me, adjust the attitude. Adjust the attitude. And I'm going, oh, yeah, that's right. Because the attitude isn't the truth. The truth is God is still God, and he is still good. And the message that the Lord wanted me to talk to you about had very little or nothing to do with that, apart from that's what the Lord's been talking to me about for the last several months. Um, <laughs> and, and so there's your introduction, everybody. <laughs> so we're going to read from, hopefully, what I'm going to read by, about from is going to help mean something. Okay. I'm going to read from Matthew 5, 3 to 10. I've read this before, actually, the last time I preached. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Gee, the further away my Bible is, the more blurry it gets. <laughs> Sorry, that's got nothing to do with anything. Uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Then I'm going to read from... First Corinthians 13, verse 22 to 23. Hang on, that's wrong. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, no, verse 4 to 8. Sorry. <laughs> I just realized when I got there, it doesn't go that far. Oh. Okay, 4 to 8. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not buffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then I'm going to read from Colossians, which is verse 5, 22 to 23 which is basically the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, such there is no law. I have been thinking about this whole thing about a lot of people always, when you hear people talk, who preach, they always talk about the upside-down kingdom. Now, I've been thinking about this in terms of when God, because God says, make disciples. Don't make 
He's no, he doesn't want churchgoers. He wants disciples. Now, I've been thinking about the whole thing about becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean for us to be made into disciples? What does that look like? Of course, if we read the book of Acts and we read the Gospels, which is the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the book of Acts after that, you would see the journey of how God, how Jesus called the disciples, discipled them in three years, and then what happened to them when he left in the book of Acts. And all of them, of course, were martyred, except for John. The process of discipleship is basically God transforming us to be like Jesus. And when he actually is transforming us to be like Jesus, the end result should be that we have what the book of Galatians says, the fruit of the Spirit. Because it says in the Bible that we're supposed to be a fruit. And sometimes people always say, be a fruit, which means produce an outworking of your life where people are coming to the gospel, coming to Jesus through your life and all of those stuff. But when I was reading this, I realized, actually, the Bible is actually, because every time the Bible says produce fruit, it doesn't say produce fruits. It says produce fruit and bearing with your salvation. Um, and so I look at this and I go, God is actually talking about being transformed into the nature of God, which is what the fruit of the Spirit is. All of those nice things that we all like somebody else to help. Now, when we meet people, we want them to be patient, to be kind, to be loving, to be all of those things so they can love us. And, and I look at it and I go, oh, that's what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about that our lives is supposed to produce fruit which means we are supposed to become like Jesus. But we hear it and we go, okay, yeah, that's good. That's nice. Very good. But if you actually then look at the lives of the disciples and what happened to them, how Jesus corrected them, how Jesus discipled them, how Jesus took them with him and showed him stuff and then had to confront them over and over about being unbelieving so-and-so. Our lives are exactly the same. When we are being made into disciples, the outcome of what God looks for is what fruit is being produced out of your life. Are we becoming more kind? Because that's why we have people with bad attitude that we meet all the time, is to actually poke us so that we see if we actually can love the unlovable, if we can love people that are annoying, if we can forgive the unforgivable, if we can, you know, receive. And because they come to test us, some of them. Some of them are your children, and then you can't get rid of them. I'm sorry to say, <laughs> but you have to love them <laughs> and raise them. <laughs> um, and, but God uses circumstances to show us and if you ask him, because when I, we were doing a ladies' thing at the end of last year, this was the thing the Lord taught, gave me to actually do, was all the women were supposed to actually pick a fruit that I kind of used as a symbol of one of these. And then you're supposed to take that fruit as, well, 
remember the fruit that you got so that you know what God is going to be working on for the next several months of your life with him. Because it's a good thing to actually understand. The upside down, upside down kingdom applies to the fact that in the book of James, also the Lord says that the poor should be grateful for their high place in the kingdom. And I actually, the more you read the Bible, the more you realize that God actually prioritized the widows, the fatherless, the poor, and the foreigners. Yes, like me. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and and um, because I came from Samoa. Me, Frody came from Indonesia. Bogdan came from Poland. And so, you know... <laughs> <laughs> and, and and so you know you 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 really gotta love us. <laughs> yeah, sorry, no, I just thought I'd put that one in there. Anyway, and and you realize those are the people that Jesus actually prioritizes. So they're at the top of the ladder, not the bottom of the ladder. But when we go places, we like the attractive people, the cool people, the happy people, the nice people. And the Lord is saying, oh, actually, you can love them all you like, but that's not the ones that I've actually, you should be aware of. Because the one who, the people who God's heart, and like all through the Old Testament, God talks to Israel. Remember the foreigners, remember the home. The poor, remember the, the orphans and remember the widows. Remember all those people because those are the people you should be looking after. Those are the people your affection should be for. Those are the people that you should put on top of your priority, not the bottom. And in doing so, you get blessed. It sounds like I'm advertising. <laughs> but it's something that the Lord's been hitting me with. It's like, actually, real, that's true. Because if you actually read through the Bible, Jesus, when he was on earth, those were the people he hung out with. Those were the people he had lunch and dinner with, the people that nobody wanted to be with, nobody cared about. He, was, he looked after the women because in, in the culture at that time, the women were actually not even considered. So he confirmed and affirmed women all the time. And even with the way he dealt with sin, he never really was that brutal with sin, it seemed like. He was like, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more, as I've done for you, do to others. And it seemed really, really kind of almost too relaxed. But the way Jesus talks about the kingdom is the fact that we are supposed to prioritize what he prioritized according to Scripture. Why is that? Because if we look after the people God's heart is for, and that's the point of the church. And so, you know, the, 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 the whole thing of actually producing fruit of our, out of our lives is the fact that we are supposed to examine the fruit because sometimes God comes to prune us. It says that he prunes the branches that does not bear fruit. So if there's attitude in us that actually are killing us, he comes and prunes them by sending your favorite people to bug you. <laughs> you know? Because there are people that just come. Like when you go, wherever you go, because I'm at university at the moment, and then I go there and I meet crazy people. Like 
really crazy people because I'm doing an arts degree. And that's where all the crazy people go to live happily. It's in the art world. <laughs> so if you want to meet crazy people that are legalized, <laughs> get together with some artists. Well, depends on what kind of art. And I mean... So when it comes to examine our lives, he prunes the parts of us that actually are not bearing fruit according to the nature of God that's supposed to be produced in us. So if I'm actually becoming less and less patient, he comes and prunes that. But then he demands that I learn to be patient. How does he, learn, how does he teach us patience? By giving us things that do not change year after year after year after year and giving us promises that takes forever to be fulfilled. And we have to still believe that it's true. Still believe that it's true. And we have to hang on to God for that promise to be fulfilled. Because it doesn't die. It's still alive, even though we just feel like, God, it's never going to happen. Like God actually promised, well, I don't know if God promised me a home, but I had said to God, God, you're going to give me a home. It's going to be this big. It's going to have this many rooms. It's going to have all of this stuff in it. And I want it to look like this, and I want it to be here, and it has to have a view of this, that, and the other thing. I have rebuilt my house a thousand times in my mind. I have moved to a lot of different suburbs in my mind, because I had gone there and go, oh, my house could sit anywhere in this neighborhood, you know, looking at the ocean, oh, the view is amazing, and the people mind their own business around here, and it will be a good neighborhood to live in, just perfect, because people just go around their, their daily business and completely leave me alone, and I, to this day, I'm like, it doesn't actually, it's been like, 20-something years, and I'm like, it doesn't seem to be getting any closer to me, <laughs> and to the point where I go, okay, Lord, you can have the dream. You can take the promise back. <laughs> I don't want it anymore, <laughs> because right now I'm closer to heaven than, <laughs> than the promise, so, you know, I'd rather come home to heaven if my house is in heaven, you know, because right now, even if I get it, I won't live long enough to, to enjoy it, you know. I'm like, I'm past halfway to heaven already. <laughs> anyway, but I have these dialogues with God about it. But he uses things to form the fruit of a spirit in our lives. And it is so a lot of us, we look at that and go, oh, how boring. But it is actually, if you look at the nature of the fruits, you realize, oh, they're actually all really nice. They're all really amazing characters of God, characteristics of the nature of God. But I don't hear a lot of Christians going, oh, yeah, I'm working on my humility this week, working on it, working on it. <laughs> you know, I really want humility. I'm really out for it. You know, I'm going to chase humility until I am just completely humble to the ground. You know, <laughs> we, we never do. We never talk about, oh, yes, I'm going, to, I'm going after patience this year. 
I am just going to chase patience down and it's going to be my thing. Patience is just going to be oozing out of me. <laughs> Even if 10 people, if I am stuck on in traffic for hours, I am just going to be the most patient people there, person there. We don't, do we? We don't actually chase the nature of God to become our nature. We actually, and this is why, you know, because we are a house of prayer, we pray a lot and we fast a lot. And, and, and I'm like, is that why God is so determined that we're going to fast until we get to heaven? And I'm like, because when we fast, God uses it to kill things in us. Because if you actually think about it, right, we all know the stuff we shouldn't be eating. But we eat them anyway. We all know that we're supposed to exercise. But a few more hours on Netflix is so much more enjoyable. It's just so much more enjoyable than going to for a walk around the block or even getting up to do anything of any kind. And I realize I'm saying we naturally prefer things that give us pleasure. Things that feel good, that make us feel good. Even though those things are actually not producing anything in us. They're just killing us quietly. But we're enjoying it while we're doing it. You know, we, we, we have a lot. We take a lot of sugar. I take a lot of sugar with my coffee. When I came from Samoa, when I first arrived, and I went to my in-law's house because me and Dave were, were going out, and they said, can I give you a cup of tea? And I go, yes, please. And then they go, how many sugars? And I must have said, five. <laughs> and they looked at me like, five? And I'm like... What? What's wrong with five? And then, and then now I realize five isn't. It's, it's like you're really. It's like an invitation for diabetic to move in. It's like welcome to my body. And I realize I'm going. Oh, people don't. Two is bad. And I'm like five. Wow. And now I look back and I'm going. Oh, that's why it was a problem. <laughs> and so, you know, we realized, oh, sugar is so much fun. <laughs> you know, <laughs> ice cream tastes so much better, you know. And so we kind of have an affinity with pleasure. But a lot of the things that we choose that give us pleasure are not necessarily the things that God has for us. Exercise isn't fun. Is it <laughs> for all you gym people out there? <laughs> and and you know, dieting. Well, well, I don't, I don't really like dieting because that's kind of you writing a law for yourself and then failing to fulfill it, and then you sin to yourself <laughs> because you make a vow to yourself and then you break it. <laughs> and then I'm like, hmm. um, and Oprah always says. Dieting does not work. <laughs> and so I'm like, no, eat whatever you want in moderation. Because the Lord is after us to produce fruit of our li- out of our lives. Because then we are actually true disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why we deal with the attitude. Because the attitude actually... If you actually watch your attitude and you actually listen to the things that trigger you, you will know that those are the areas that God is wanting to heal. 
doesn't mean you ignore the pain. Because there are things that have all happened to us. Like I lost my dad. He had a massive heart attack and the day after his 70th birthday. My mom died of cancer. And then my husband died of his heart condition. And so the pain of loss to all of us is real. And we do not ignore the reality of those pains but we walk in obedience with the leading of the Holy Spirit because he said, Jesus said that those who obey me, if you love me, you will obey. And half the things he tells us to do are not fun. Love your neighbor. Which neighbor? <laughs> that one, that one, or the one across the road. I don't like any of them. <laughs> so which one? <laughs> and, you know, love your neighbor. And the Bible says your neighbor is the one that needs help that you come across. When you meet somebody that's in need and you can help, you help. Like if you're part of a family, like this is the thing, like, you know, in Samoa you, you're taught by osmosis, which means you learn. That when you are part of a family, when you come into the house, if there's washing on the couch that needs to be folded, you do not think, oh, you don't ignore the washing and walk past it and think, oh, no, my mom will do it. When you are part of the family, you are taught, when you come into the house and the dishes need doing and the laundry needs washing and there's washing that needs to be hung out, because you are part of this family, you do it. You don't need to be asked to do it. You actually know, oh, part of being a family is that I help. I help. And so it becomes an automatic thing that we have this nature of when we come into a building and there's stuff that needs to be doing done, we just help get it done. The nature of the Lord that's being worked into us this season is really important because that's what he looks for. Discipleship is automatic when we actually walk according to the fruit of who God is to us. When we work at being patient, work at being kind, work at being lovely, loving, work at being patient. When he's being, those things are being worked in us, people will automatically want to be with us because of that. It's like, you know, when Jesus was w walking around, people, when he asked Zacchaeus to his that he was going to his house, which is the short guy that was in the tree. And he did, it was like, oh, he's coming to my house. Oh, my gosh. It changed him. It changed him because the nature of Jesus was that, that the, the very fruit of the Spirit was who he was. And so people wanted to be with him. When we have the fruit of the Spirit, it doesn't mean we become people's Slaves. When we actually are walking with God and he comes and he confronts us about issues of our heart, we don't get an attitude about it because we have to go, oh, it's actually wrong that I did that. We deal with the attitude because if we don't, it'll become part of us and then we become those to the, that to the world. I've been confronted by this thing by the Lord where he's been telling me about the fact that 
we are so privileged and so blessed. In this house, you would find a few people that has never had to pay for a car in the last 10 years because somebody always gave them a car. Like when the car breaks down, somebody will go, oh, yeah, I felt the Lord tell me to give you this car and this. And so they drive up the drive and give them the keys and go, it's yours. And we've had it happen in this house so often that you kind of go, oh, no, I'm not going to bother buying a car. Lord, someone in this house has my car. Where is it? When is it going to come down the drive? Where is it? <laughs> and I'm like, oh. and. And But we are so blessed because people just give things to each other like it's going out of fashion. And we're going, oh, my gosh, we have no idea because my son is actually sorting a car right now for his family. And, and I'm going, if I were you, I would wait. Somebody's probably got your car. If you just wait long enough, somebody's going to bring it to you. It may not look like what you want, but it will run well. <laughs> but he was like, no, I'm getting a car for my family. And so I'm like, okay, fine. But I didn't say it to him because he was a kid raised in a Christian home. Who goes, go, I am tired of people's hand-me-downs. I'd rather buy my own car. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, I'd rather buy my own car. Now I've got a job. I can pay for it myself. You know, and I mean, okay, if you want to go like that, but God's got free stuff. You know, He's got free stuff. If you want free stuff, just wait. You know, because whatever kind of car, it will teach you to be humble. Because God will teach you humility. Because the car may have a different color. The door of the car may have a different color to the rest of the car. You know, but it runs well and it, you know. Because the things that God gives us and the way he blesses us also teaches us to bless others. Because he humbles us. And my walk with God has been in such a way that I am so helpless that if God doesn't move, I am just done. But in the process of him refining us with fire, it's painful. It's painful. Because out of it comes a trauma from our lives. If we've ever, because I grew up in Samoa, I grew up in a home of domestic violence. My dad was a chief, but he he started drinking in his teenage years, like when he was nineteen. Him and my mom they they got married in their teenage years, and so they had us, me and my brother while they were a teenager, and then my dad started drinking. But he wasn't one of those, I'll have a casual drink with my mates, then I'll go home to bed because, you know. No, if he drinks, he has to be blind drunk to the point where he doesn't remember the night. He, and every night, he would leave the house. Like normal people go to work. My dad would leave to go to the pub. Like when he's at home, he's creating stuff. And when he creates, it's basically because he needs to make some money so he can go to the pub. So he would create, and then everything he creates, he would sell. And when he sells it, he gets the money, then he goes to the pub. And then when he comes home, then my dad that left the house, which was a very nice, noble, loving father and husband, he never touched us. Like, he never hit us. He never talked to us, his kids, in a horrible way. But to my mom... He was absolute nightmare. The way he talked to her, the way he treated her, the way he actually was with her was like two completely two different human beings. So I grew up in a home of domestic violence where every night when the sun goes down, I would go to trauma. Because that's when my dad would come home. 
he would come home at night and he would be a just complete nightmare. And so all my nights growing up in Samoa were just nightmares because my dad would, and so I would always hope, I would always pray, please put me to sleep to the point where I'm so asleep that no matter what happens in my house, I won't hear it. And so when I came to New Zealand and I got saved, I still would have this thing that would come up at night where I'd go, why am I afraid at night? And I realized it's because I associated night with terror. And so at night, and even Christmas, because, you know, here when people start talking about Christmas in October, I would go to trauma. I'm going, Christmas is supposed to be the happy time. Happy, happy, shopping, shopping. Happy, happy, gifts, gifts, gifts. But I would just go into full-on trauma. I'm like, Christmas should be canceled. It should be canceled. No more Christmas, please. And I couldn't understand why. And it was because that's where all the drunks in Samoa decide to party from October until even February. They are still so walking around the village going, hello. And, they, they, and then it will come to your house. Why you're minding your own business, you know, because everybody knows everybody and everybody just, you know, you see all the drunks and, and they, they come around and they call out to you and then they just had to come and go, hello, sister, you know, and Samoa, I come to wish you well. And then, they, and then some of them, and then I'm going, and then my dad would start partying from October until February, added to his normal drinking and it goes up and then, and all of Christmas was a time of trauma. So when I actually came to know Jesus, it was one of the hardest things that Jesus had to work over and over and over to get out of my system. Because he wanted to show me that blessings do not bring trauma. Peace does not come with pain. They are separate things, but because of their association, because of my upbringing, I could not see, I could not feel peace because there was just constant pain and constant fear. And so what he had to do was he had to prove to me, he had to prove to me. Like when I first met Dave in the first week of our marriage, I said to him, if you so ever lay a finger on me, <laughs> I will be gone so fast you won't remember my name and you'll never, ever, ever see me again. Of course, Dave was the complete opposite of my dad. Dave doesn't even drink and Dave was like, and, but it took years because he would push the button of neglect and abandon me over and over and over. And I'm going, why is it that when I ask him to do something and he says no, that I would go into full depression? Like full darkness, like doom. I would be in this cave and there'll be no light. And I'm going, and it gets worse. And then the Lord began to visit me and show me no, it's because when you were a child, this happened to you. And because of that, you associate neglect with when Dave says no to you. Because he was the complete opposite of my dad. But it would trigger it over and over and over and over again. And it's nothing small. It's nothing big like, honey, can you take me up the road? No, you can walk or you can do this or you can da-da-da-da-da-da. And I would go into absolute... You are such a da -da 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 of a husband. You are so bad da -da -da inside me. And I go, how can you say that? You're supposed to be da -da 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 to me. You know, the, you know this is, because this is what we do when we get married. The other person is supposed to actually have all the fruits of the Spirit for us. 
they are supposed to be patient and kind and loving and a saint. That no matter what they do, they're supposed to say, oh, honey, I love you so much. I, I know you didn't mean that. You didn't mean to be cruel and mean to me, but I forgive you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And we, we expect that. And then when they don't do the opposite, we go to trauma. When they do the opposite, we go to trauma. When in the natural fact, we just bring with us the things that we bring with us. And the person just happens to be used by the Lord to kill us. And to work out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives so that we actually are paying attention to what the Holy Spirit is working on in us. When I come to a place like this, I ask the Lord every season, Lord, what are you working on? What is it that you're refining in my life? So that when I come to a setting like this, I don't blame the world for pushing my buttons. I know that the Lord has brought everybody into this room that eventually one of you will push one of my buttons and I will go... For teaching me to be loving because I am not a people person and right now I couldn't get bo- I couldn't be bothered but you're teaching me to be loving therefore thank you Jesus because we give what we receive when we are loved we are supposed to love back and the way that love gets worked out in us is when the Lord comes to heal our wounds he doesn't leave us alone he doesn't abandon us he doesn't forsake us he comes to heal our wounds and the reason why he wants to heal our wounds because we were created in his image. That at the end of our lives, we'll look more closer to being like Jesus as close as we could ever get in this life. And that way, we don't have unrealistic expectations put on our families, put on our marriages, put on our children. Because we're supposed to have children and we're supposed to understand their personality so that we raise them according to their personality, not according to our expectations of them. And that's what God is doing with us. When we come to know Jesus, he comes into us and he begins then to unfold the journey of going, no, that doesn't fit the nature of who, how, who you are to me. Like when I fail with my kids, because when they were little, I used to be a psycho mom. Like real psycho, like, you shouldn't have done that. And, and then the Lord began to, to actually heal me. And he began to change the way I mother. And in the last 10 years of my life with my kids, the Lord would come and will always say, you're such a good mom. You're such a good mom. And, you know, I still have things where my kids will say, oh, yeah, my mom is a good mom, but, but, this, 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 I can tell you what I don't like, da, 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 da. And I'm going, well, Jesus says I'm a good mom, and that's fine with me. <laughs> you can argue with Jesus if you want, <laughs> but he says I'm a good mom, therefore I'm going with Jesus, you know. <laughs> and, and I've had to use it to actually deal with the condemnation because, you know, I still see my, some of my kids suffer from the consequences of things that I did years ago when they were little. And I always go, oh, Lord, that's still there and that's still my fault. And God, please. And he still says to me, you're a good mom. You're a good mom because we're evolving all the time to be like Jesus. And in being made into the nature of God takes work 
takes testing, takes trial, takes pruning. And I feel like the Lord is saying, ask the Lord what he's working on so that we are not caught off guard all the time. Because then we are patient with each other because sometimes the reason why that person is like that is because God's using it to teach us to be loving. Like, you know, when Robin was talking about not having a heart for the lost because, you know, it's a thing that God has been talking to him about. I know because I'm not a people person and I'm very private and I, being prophetic, you tend to shrink yourself down to invisibility when you go out into the world. I, the thing that the Lord, because of my kids, he says, if you can love your kids, you can interact with people outside. Like when I go to uni because I'm surrounded by teenagers. And some of them need probably a, the rest of their life in therapy. Or probably a handful of them need really deep therapy. And, but when I interact with them, the Lord always says, as you love your kids, love them. Because you have learned to love your kids well. You've learned to know what it is. Because one of the things that the Lord said to me in the beginning when my kids were little that really, really, really helped. Take this one. It's free. Always apologize. When you mess up and you've done something and you've said something horrible to them, apologize. Because then you're honoring the, who they are. And they know that you're not a scumbag. <laughs> because they know then you're a work in process. And they'll give you the grace. And they know that you'll honor them. So always apologize. And always say, I'm sorry. That was out of turn. That was wrong. That should have never come out of my mouth towards you. That was just out of place. I'm sorry. Always apologize. Because then you will raise humans that actually honor themselves and know what honor is and know what respect is. So this thing about the nature of God that he wants to work out in us and how he's wanting to transform us to be like Jesus is a solid ground that we have to start with so that when we are with each other, We don't envy. You know, the fruit of love, what love looks like. It doesn't envy. It doesn't, it's not jealous. It's not all of those things because God is love. Love is not according to what we think love is. It's that fluffy feeling. Now, you, when you see, your, like, I got my first grandchild, and all of you guys should be grandparents. It is the greatest feeling on earth. When one little human comes into the room, it doesn't matter. The Queen of England could be in the room, but it would not matter to you because that one little person is the most important human being right now on earth. And you see them and you go, everything they do is so cute. You know? And anyway, one of the things that she does, which my, none of my kids have ever done, is she has this ability to say no. Like, one of her first words is no, and she's 18 months. And when she says it, you don't mess with her when she says no. 
because you see the eyes and you see the expression and you see the sound of her voice. And he goes, no. And I go, what the? And she would say it when she's not happy. Because when she doesn't want something, she'll go, no. And, you go, and then the Lord said to me, when you say no, that's what your no should sound like. And when you say yes, that's what your yes should sound like. It should sound so convincing that there'll be no gray area in your life. That you actually know where you stand because you made the decision to say yes. Therefore, when your yes is yes, it's yes. Meaning, it doesn't matter what, how it comes to charge you and to charge at you, you have said yes. And that's, that, that's it. Like, you know, when God asks you to serve, because in Samoa, everybody serves. It's just the way life is. You, you know, you serve, and when you go, you help. And wherever you are, you help. In your home, you help. And so, you know, when I go home, my brothers, my youngest brother, he does whatever it is that he, he doesn't, because girls are not supposed to do certain things that only men are supposed to do. So the men know if there's a woman and she's going to do something that they're supposed to do, it's an insult to them. So they move and they do it because they don't keep the women where they're supposed to be. And so women, and so all, when, and, and so we know that things are quite definite. But whatever it is what that God asks us to do, it does not reduce us. When he asks us to serve, doesn't mean we become the slave. Because we're still us. I'm just helping. You didn't just, you didn't hire a slave. I just volunteered to help. I don't get reduced to be your housemaid because I'm helping. I'm me. And therefore, my helping you, please don't treat me like I'm your slave suddenly because I am not. I actually volunteer to help. And then you treat people with such dignity that you realize, oh, we're not all slaves here. We're a family. We all help. We all clean up. We all look after each other. We pray and fight like hell for each other when things are wrong. And we support each other when things are bad. And we look after each other. But in the process, we will have some arguments. Because real family disagree with each other. But we never, ever take that as being the reason why we no longer talk to each other. Ever. Like I had... Like I was living with my sister, and she, because when we were raised in Samoa, my mom was a clean freak, freak. Everything had to be clean. And because she had unresolved anger with my dad, she would let it out on us. She was the one that smacked us. But our dad never touched us. It was like, and so if we know our mom was really angry, we know, where is dad? Where is dad? Just run and hide behind him. <laughs> run and hide behind him because she cannot go past him because he's, he's taller than her. And so, and she was a clean freak. She would be really, really angry if the house is messy, like explosive, angry type mother. Like that kind of island mother. She was like, oh, she's after you and you better know how to run. <laughs> and anyway, and so, but my dad was creative. Like creative, like mess everywhere. A bit like me. Anyway, and, and so my mom was always angry. My dad was always creating. And so I lived in this house where there was this tension. Anyway, a couple of my sisters are like my mom. They are clean freaks. Like 
everything has to have its place and a place for everything. And I love that. But then when I come along and go, I need a space to create and there's no space, the whole house becomes my place to create. I, if I feel like doing, uh, making something on, on the couch in the lounge, I would take all my stuff and sit in the lounge and do my mess. And then the kids come. There's nowhere to sit in this house. Nowhere to sit. You know? And like, oh, there's stuff all over the floor. Okay. And then, and then I'm like, but inside I'll be like, I wish I was tidy. I wish I was tidy, Jesus. Please make me tidy. Because you know? I could hear my mom's voice. This is what you've become after all these years that I taught you to be tidy. This is what you've become. And I want to hear that voice in my head. And I'm going, Jesus, I, the ideal is to be tidy. I should not exist because I'm messy. You know? And so I start to curse myself. I start to curse the fact that I'm messy. Anyway, I was living with my sister. And my sister is the clean one. And she's creative, but she's not my type of creative. And so she got really angry with me <laughs> because I'm like, hey, I'm trying to finish a degree here. I've got an essay due and I've got lecturers breathing down my neck that I need to produce this amount of work. And I, I don't have time to tidy my room. I don't have time to clean up the lounge because I, I exploded everywhere. You know? And then she's like, she comes up because she doesn't even live in the apartment that I was in because I was with the kids. And then, and then Solomon goes, oh, Auntie came up. And I'm like, what? And she goes, she was angry about something. And then, you know, anyway. Anyway, we, got, we had this argument, which was not an argument. We was like, you know, you disagree. And in families, you say, you can say the worst things to each other. And you go, I know, we're, we're fine. And then my kids are going. And then, you know, last week, last week or the week before, we went for dinner. And things were back to normal. We didn't have a discussion over the fact that she was angry and then I was a mess and then she was angry with me and she was really angry with me and she, I should have tied it up and I should have been considerate, da, 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 da. We had no dialogue about it. We were just like, and my kids looking and going, are you guys, yeah, we're all right, we're fine. This is how we resolve things. We're family. We're always going to be family. We're never going to get along. I'm never going to be like her. She's never going to be like me. That's why we live in different houses and on two different parts of the city. Because we're family and we know certain codes about family. Some things are never worth losing connection over. The refining of the Holy Spirit is going to come even more because the more we talk about the Holy Spirit, the more he comes to push our buttons, the more he allows things to come close to us so that we actually command our soul to rise to allow the God, the God of the universe who knows us by name. When you were in your mother's womb, he knew you. Before you were born, he knew you. He just selected your spirit from him. And put you in your mother's womb because he knew that the life that you would come into will determine who you will become in your DNA. And in that DNA is all the things that ne is necessary for following Jesus. All the gifts, everything that he's put in there. But what happens is then the enemy has put things in our family lives that contaminate, that ruin, that tarnish, that actually makes everything that we've been given by the living God 
are so contaminated that the process of walking with Jesus and getting the fruit out of our lives is him refining our lives so that all the stuff the enemy has managed to put into our family line gets removed so we can see who we really are, children of God. Children of God made to become like Jesus and the nature of the fruit of the Spirit that where we go, we love the world freely because it doesn't cost us anything to love. And when we love, we don't judge. We love. And a lot of kids out there who now there is more people on earth that don't know the gospel simply because it's not like before where the, where the generations that, that receive the gospel into this land are passing off. And so there is this more and more generations of kids growing up now having never heard about Jesus. So when we meet people and we love them freely, they know there's something about us. And this whole thing then of this journey that we're together in is this whole thing that God redeems our family line through us. This is why I always said when my kids were little, I used to say, I don't come to church because I actually want to be a super Christian and become somebody that sat up here. I was never interested. I wanted to come to church so I can see everything that the, that the enemy has done to my family line removed. So my children will have a different inheritance. And that the inheritance that God ordained from the beginning will be rightfully theirs without them having to go to war to get it. That I could, to my last breath, if I could fight the battle for them to remove some of it so that they have some freedom. Because God will still allow things to come to them so they themselves will be refined. But in my walk with God, it has always been about fighting things so my children would have a better chance than what I had. That Jesus will be more real to them than he was to me. And... And that is a message I feel the Lord asked me to come and to give you. Be aware of what he's doing in your lives because the kingdom is upside down. The people that we least think of are the ones whose God's heart is resting on. Because in order for our eyes to be open according to the book of Matthews, our heart has to be pure. And for him to deal with our hearts, he has to come in there and tell us what's contaminating our heart. One of the things about growing up in, in a Western country and having things so accessible is the fact that we become so entitled that we think, I deserve to have this, I deserve to have that. The world owes it to me. And then I, that's why also when we look at people, we don't celebrate their blessings because we think, oh, that should have been mine. Why didn't that go to them? I've been praying for that for years and years and years. How come they got it? And attitudes begin to come out. That's pointing at the condition of our hearts. And the Lord then comes and goes, why? Can you not see your own blessings that I've given you? 
We celebrate because as a family, we're supposed to celebrate each other's victories. We're supposed to celebrate each other's blessings. We're supposed to intercede for each other's blessings so that, you know, when Em got the job, I was like, because I was going, Lord, you know, this girl needs a job. <laughs> you know, come on. And then when it suddenly came, I was like, where did that come from? You know, I was like, and, and so I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And when my kids were not here, the four boys, when they hear things that are happening in the house and they hear families getting blessed, they go, oh, my gosh, mom, that is so good. When they heard about Jeff's house, they were like, oh, that God is, oh, that is so good. Because my kids will never say, God is good. They'll just say, oh, oh, that is good that Jeff's got a house. That is so good. That is so good. Because he so deserves it, man. He's a good guy, you know. And my kids are like, they love Jeff. <laughs> and, you know, and, and then when they heard it, you know, when Catherine gets blessed, they go, oh, mom, that is so good. When they hear people are getting blessed, they are so so joyful in their hearts. And I'm going, teach me to be joyful, God. Instead of going, Lord, you gave that to them. You promised me this 20 years ago. Where is it? And I'm going, you know, and and I have had to work at actually really celebrating people's blessings when I'm waiting for my promise. I've had to work at it because sometimes it feels like it's bittersweet because you, you know, I, they don't even need it, Father. I need it. I need it more than them. Look at me. Look at what, look at my living conditions. Look, 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 look. I deserve a house more than anybody in this room. And I'm like, and I'm going, okay. Am I, you know, and I have to work at sorting the attitude. Because then I can actually really see the blessing. And I celebrate the blessing not because I'm trying to manipulate God for my own. It's because I really want to be like Jesus. When my joy is real, I want it to be real. I don't want it to be fake. And when I love, I don't want it to be pretentious. I want it to be real. And when I talk to people, I want to be present with them so that my heart is interacting with them and not my mind is somewhere else. These are the things, they sound so simple, but they are the things where the war is for our souls. And so take that word because I feel like if I keep talking, you're going to be here for another half an hour. And so shall we stand? So, you know, if anything I've said has resonated with you, if it's touching your heart, if it's doing something for you, just allow the Holy Spirit to let that soak through. Because His Word comes to cleanse us, the Bible says. So we just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come. So, Father, here we are. Your children, you know us so well. You know our good and our bad. You know our buttons, all of them, even the ones that are hidden. You know us so well, and yet you want to come near us. Your affections for us are always real. And your love for us is so expansive, Father, so deep and so wide. 
But most, some, for some of us, we don't really know how to let you love us because we're so hard on ourselves. Because our childhood has been so hard on us that we have never known how to be kind to ourselves. So, Father, I ask that you come and just soak us with your goodness and your love and your embrace. Because, Lord, we are the ones that keep pushing ourselves away, but you're the one that comes near. So we come near to you. Thank you for the fruit that you're working out in us to make us like you. It's so good to become like Jesus, but it's so hard, Father. It's hard because, Lord, for some of us, the places you put us are hard places. So, Father, come and just, we allow you to come and just love on us. Give us peace where there is no peace. Tell us of the things that we need to let go of, to put at the foot of the cross of Jesus because he paid for it. We just want to interact with you. We want to give you what we don't need. We want to receive what you have. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. If you need prayer for anything, even if it's a need that you have, doesn't have to be sickness because, yeah, we'll pray for, for you if you're not well and if there's stuff troubling you or troubling your mind. Just come forth and someone will pray for you. But also if you have needs, it's, whether it's financial, whether it's... Because come and actually someone will stand with you in prayer because we've seen so many miracles in this house with regards to provision and so many other things as well that, that sometimes happen to us during the week. And you want a word of encouragement and you want someone to give you something to go home with, to, to feed you for the week that's ahead. Because sometimes we come from hard places during the week that we just want a word to encourage us, to get us through to the end of next week. So come forward if you need, if, you know, if that's... And is there any words of knowledge? I was just praying yesterday about um, Lord show me like nasal areas. So if there's anyone with nasal problems or sinus, you show me that. So I'll love to pray for you. Okay, so we'll we'll just close and then you can hang out and fellowship and have a cup of tea and have a coffee and catch up with somebody. So we'll just close. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your kindness and your goodness to us. Thank you for your grace that takes us through day to day. We love you, Father. Thank you for your presence. May you be glorified in us. This week that's ahead, go ahead of us 
and our families. Protect each one. Protect each household. And give, Lord God, what's needed, where provision is needed, where healing is needed, all the stuff that you're so good at giving us. In Jesus' name, amen.